listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're looking at those verses that I read earlier today. Um, Let me just pray for us and, and we'll dive right in. Father, we just thank you so much for this time together in the Word. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us, as I know that you will, through your spirit, through your word. Father, help us to um, lay down some things, possibly, if that's what you're calling us to do. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to see the importance of, of being in your word and, and listening to your word. As Mary sat at the feet of the word to take in all that he was teaching. Lord, I just pray that, again, that you would shape us and mold us through your word and spirit this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, over the last couple of weeks, um, God has said to us some things through um, Luke and obviously through Jesus, who is obviously God. Um, and first thing he told us is rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. And he said to rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. What a wonderful thing to to rejoice over that the fact that, that we will spend eternity with God. In other words, that you have an identity that, that is received and it's not achieved. In other words, God's written your name in a book long before you were ever born. So your identity is received, not achieved. You do not go and make a name for yourself by your blood, sweat, and tears. What has happened is Jesus has done that for you. Christ has given you a name through his blood, sweat, and tears. Rest in this truth. God is sovereign over salvation, and your name is written in heaven. That's what he said to us two weeks ago. Last week, Jesus told us that the only way you can have eternal life is if you love perfectly, which is, uh uh-oh, we don't do that. None of us do that perfectly, but that's okay, because that's why we need Jesus, and that's what Jesus came to do, to, to take his perfect life, his perfect loving life, not only to his father in heaven, but also to his neighbor, as the parable was talking about. And he credits that to us as when we put our faith in him, when we clothe his righteousness around us. It's not our righteousness that gets us there. It's his. He is the way we are justified before God. We saw the lawyer who actually believed that he loves perfectly. He just needed to know, now, who's my neighbor, Jesus? I do all that. Which is a very wrongful and arrogant way to think. Because there's no way that we love perfectly because we're still not fully sanctified. We have a fallen flesh that we deal with. We live in a fallen world. And our sanctification has not been completed. So Jesus is, is going after him because it says right there in that passage that, that the lawyer asked this question, who is my labor? Because he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to say, okay, I love perfectly. Just tell me who my neighbor is and I'll, I'll continue to do what I already do perfectly. And Jesus is obviously saying, you don't do that. Just like he did the rich young ruler. When, when the rich young ruler said, I follow the law perfectly. And he said, okay, then go sell everything. And then you see that he doesn't truly followed the law because he's coveting his money. It's uh, God for him. It's worship for him. We know that Jesus flipped that conversation on the lawyer and showed him that not only does he not love perfectly, he cannot be justified until he sees that he cannot love perfectly. 
It's amazing about the upside down kingdom where it always consistently looks at the things that the world says and and the things that we naturally think sometimes and it flips it on its head. And and what he's saying is like, until you actually see that you do not love perfectly, can you actually start beginning to love perfectly? Because only through Christ and, and resting in him and walking with him do we begin to love perfectly. Do we begin to put aside the things that, that we put on our throne and, and put him on there and to do the things that he has called us to do? That we will only, when we see that, have the love for the Good Samaritan, which of course is Jesus. Not until we lay down all the ways we justify ourselves before God, we will experience His wonderful grace. Not until we choose the good portion over the way we make a name for ourselves or the way we justify ourselves, will we truly experience the joy God has for us in Christ Jesus. Choosing the good portion. That's what our passage is all about today. It's choosing the good portion. Let me just read that again. Now, as they went up on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So as we open this scene in Luke's narr- narrative here, w- what do we see? We, we don't see some kind of spectacular event happening. We see a very mundane thing happening, something that happens probably in everyone's house at some point in time, different times uh, for different people. And it looks many ways differently for depending on what season of life you're in. But there's no like healing of the blind. There's nobody being raised from the dead. There's nobody, no lame coming to walk. We just see a mundane everyday happening that we all walk through each and every day. Now, it's not that Mary and Martha didn't see the spectacular because remember their brother is Lazarus. And if you know anything about the Bible, then you know that Lazarus was raised from the dead after, you know, Jesus raised him from the dead. Um, Jesus comes into a village and is met by Martha who invites him to dinner. We have a typical scene, something that happens for all of us every day. At some point in time, we gather for a meal. No life-altering events, just a common everyday occurrence, which reminds me of something that Paul Tripp often says quite often. He says this, The transforming work of grace operates in 10,000 little moments more than it does in a series of two or three life-altering events. In other words, God is not shaping you in those big moments. God is shaping you in these little, mundane, everyday moments, every day that you walk, every day that you listen to His Word, every day that you read His Word, every day that you live out life. He is shaping you through these mundane little things. In other words, the character and quality of your life will not be defined by two or three life-changing moments. No, the character and quality of your life will be defined by 10,000 little decisions, little desires, words, and actions that you make every single day. 
See, what happens is when those big things come, they reveal who you are inside. So the big things do not shape you. The big things reveal who you are. And it's in those everyday mundane things, those little things that you do each and every day, the little decisions you make, the desires that you're shaping through the word, is through all those little things that actually build your character, who reveals who you are, who builds who you are. Again, when those big events come in, come, they actually reveal who you are. Those things do not make you. Those things only reveal what mundane day in and day out situations have made you. Is there daily time of prayer, spending time with the Lord? Is there daily time in his word? Is there daily time with the saints? How are you working on your reactions to the life around you, to your spouse or your friends or your classmates or your co-workers or your neighbors? It's in that everyday mundane thing that, that God is shaping us and changing us and working in us through his spirit and his word. The dinner scene that we have here is one of those little moments that will shape the character of Martha and Mary. Because Jesus compares and contrasts Martha and Mary. That's how I thought we would go through the passage as we just compare and contrast each of these women. Let's look at Martha first. What is she prioritizing? How is she finding her identity and how is she justifying herself? So who is this Martha? Well, the first thing that we know is because of Jesus' reaction and the way he said something here where he used her name twice, that it is someone that Jesus dearly cares for. Right? When Jesus answers her question by saying, Martha, Martha, the da- uh, doubling of a word in Semitic languages means magnific- uh, magnification of feeling. Uh, in other words, like it's, it's, just, it's pouring out your feeling on this person. Martha, Martha, that's whenever it's used this way, it's, it's a magnification of feeling. When Jesus is heartbroken over Jerusalem, what does he say? He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God. My God. When he talks to Martha, he is counseling her out of deep love and tremendous compassion. He loves her. He's trying to show her the better portion. He's trying to show her something about how she's fulfilling her identity and how she's justifying herself. He's he's saying, wait, why are you so worried about all these things? Mary's chosen the good portion. He is communicating his love for her. Second thing we know is, is Martha is a leader. Right? She's the one that invited, invited Jesus to, to dinner. Martha is the kind of person who, in any situation, ends up taking charge. She knows what to do before anybody else does. She's reading things. She's paying attention, and she knows what to do. She's very decisive, and she's very quick to tell other people what they should do, be doing as well. We see that right there in the passage, like, She's telling God, in essence, to tell Mary to do something. Like, I know what's best here. And we often stumble into that. We often sometimes find ourselves telling God what is best to do in a situation. But she's a leader. That's who she is. Um, Remember, I said that whenever Martha and Mary, they saw a big event, the, the raising of Lazarus, right? In John 11, who is the first one to question Jesus about rolling the tomb and, and raising Lazarus. It's, it's Martha. She's the one that says, Lazarus is going to stink. Like, you know, she's a leader. That's who Martha is. And, and even in, within the text, you see, why is it Martha's house? 
Why is it not Mary's house? Why is it not Lazarus' house? That's who Martha is. She's, she's a leader. She's someone that Jesus dearly cares for. As he responds to her, Martha, Martha. The next thing we see is Martha is very busy. She is very, very busy. She is distracted by much serving is what verse 40 tells us. Now, some have taken this to differentiate between a secular person and a Christian, right? They, and I guess you could look at that and say, hey, are you about God's business? But if you look within the context of the passage, who is Martha serving right now? She's serving the Lord. She's serving Jesus. So it might tend to think and, and maybe give a warning for Christians who are, are busy about, but I want to say it this way, it's good to be about God's work because he'll give you what you can handle. So some people are going to be busier than others. But he's also trying to point out that if all you are about doing God's work is to justify yourself, right, is to say, look what I did, therefore I'm accepted by God. No, you've missed the gospel. You've, you've missed the, the great good news of the gospel. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. And then you step into faith and you live out that faith. Now, the fruit of knowing and being in Christ should be good works. Because these are things that he prepared for us before the foundation of the earth. That's, you know, Ephesians 2.10. But there's a difference of resting in our justification in Christ and trying to earn our justification in Christ. And I think here that, that Martha is, is, you know, we see later on that she is a believer. She's with Jesus all the way through. She's there. But I think it truly is looking at a person who is ministry. Who is, again, Martha serving. She's serving Jesus. Here Luke is showing us a believer. We know that by the rest of Martha's story, but a believer who is missing the good portion, a believer who is out of balance. Can Martha still be a believer and still err in trying to make a name for herself or justify herself by her service? Well, sure. It happens all the time. There are auditoriums filled with Christians who are doing that. Some of you might be here today doing that. We are not fully sanctified. We are a work in progress. Martha is allowing the business and ministry to squeeze out actual focus attention on Jesus. Like she's doing for him instead of being with him. You know, the second song we sing today, it's the new song for this month. Each month we try to pick a new song to learn and to add to the repertoire of what we can sing. That that song, you can come in, and if you haven't spent any time with God throughout the week, you can just verbally sing that song. But if you truly have spent time with Him, or you are truly working, walking through a mess right now in your life, then you would sing that song differently, would you not? If you've spent time with, with God, you would, spend, you would know that song differently. Because you would be singing it to your Savior. You'd be thanking Him for, for His steadfastness, His love. The fact that you can trust Him. That you can step into that. 
And see, this is the, the picture that is, it is being painted within this passage of, of how you walk in life and how you spend time with the Lord and how you walk with the Lord. Are you too busy about his business to spend time with him? This was Martha's issue. She was just way, way too busy. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Boy, does that not set up the, the, the world we live in right now? Anxious and troubled about many things. Again, here, Jesus goes right to the heart, does he not? He identifies not only what she's doing, but he identifies why she's doing it. You're, you're anxious and troubled. So there's something going on in your heart, Martha. There's something wrong with your heart. You are trusting in something other than me. That's what he's saying. That's what he often says throughout the Bible. Jesus is always looking to see what we might be trusting in over him. She's trusting in her service. She's trusting in all that she does to sanctify her. I mean, to, to justify her, to, to again, to form her identity or who she is. He goes to the heart. And he says, Martha, you need many things to make you happy. Mary just needs one. Mary just needs one. We can all agree that we become anxious and troubled when we don't have what we think we ultimately need to make us happy. That's the root of most anxiety, and a lot of times it's the root of much of our aggravation with others. Like whenever they're in our way to what we think we need, you're in my way, so now I'm, I'm angry with you. Or I'm aggravated with you, which is the same as angry. Or I'm anxious because now things are out of my control and I really think I need this. I got to have this. And I'm holding really tight to it. But the circumstances of my life or the world around me is taking it away. And, and oh no, I, I, I'm going to feel anxious because it's something I think I need. I need it. I must have it. And when we don't get it, what we think we need, we feel empty inside. <laughs> we feel anxious. There are so many things Martha wants, and because she wants them, she's continually unhappy. With the level of irritation that Martha is showing here, she tells Jesus to make Mary help her. Like, you know what? I'm going to call on God to make somebody else fulfill what I think I need. I mean, how many of us, how many of us be honest and, and pray that prayer a lot? You need to do something with this person so that they stop acting the way they're acting so that I can either get what I think I need or what I want or what I think I truly need to be happy. That's, that's, that's the James prayer, right? That you ask for selfish reasons. When, when, when James is telling us that when we pray amiss and we pray for selfish reasons, and Jesus is trying to say, hey, Martha, all you need is me. All you need is me. See, what Martha has happened is, what Mar has happened with Martha is she wants, her wants have become needs. Martha needs all these things. When a want becomes a need and someone does not fulfill the need, you get angry. You get irritated. You have two things that are not very prominent, as I said, in our culture today, anxiety and anger. See, when, when people form their identity 
and are self-justifying, they have identified certain needs and expectations to reach certain goals. And when these needs are not met, we respond in one of two ways. We become anxious or we become angry. Our circumstances or the people around us do not cause these feelings. They come from our heart. Right? The people around us do not cause us to be angry. It's the way we're responding from our heart. That's what anger is. It's a feeling. Now, there is righteous anger. Absolutely there is. But a lot of times it's not. It's selfish anger. It comes from the heart. This is what James tells us in 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. On your passions. On what you think you need. So, Ask yourself this question. Is the root of your anxiety and your anger rooted in someone or something threatening what you have determined is needed to gain an identity or to justify yourself? Is the root of your anxiety and your anger rooted in someone or something threatening what you have determined is needed to gain an identity or to justify yourself? Jesus says, All you need is me. Your identity is not achieved, it's received. You do not have to justify yourself. I have done that. I did that at the cross. I did that with my perfect life. This is why we have a hard time in our society. I mean, if you think about it, just talking about ideas and issues anymore. We can't even do that in our society anymore. We have a hard time just talking about ideas and issues These ideas and issues have become the way people form an identity and justify themselves. So whenever you talk or maybe you disagree with this idea or this issue, guess what they feel like you're doing? You're attacking my identity. So the wall goes up and now we don't have any more interaction. I mean, the politicians try to make this happen all the time because they don't talk about issues Or they don't talk about ideas, they talk about people's identity. And it's a sad place to be in a society that we can't talk about issues and ideas. How how can we have a, a, a unified society in any way, on any topic, if we can't at least talk through these things? Right? Because it's not about talking through the issue, and it's not talking through the idea. It's about attacking the identity, right, of the person. It's a sad place to be. That's what sin does. That's why we must, as Christians, find our identity in Christ. That's why we must rest in his justification. So that we can be the ones that will hear things that maybe we don't like or don't agree with or don't line up with the Bible, but we can still love that person. Because their ideas and the issues that they might be speaking about does not change the fact that they are also made in the image of God. To give them the same respect and to love them in the same way. We should be leading the way in that as those who have been given an identity and who have 
been justified by Christ. Because they can say all kinds of things to us and it, it, it really doesn't matter because we are in Christ. Because one day he's going to come, he's going to take away sin and, and we're going to spend eternity with him. Here's what happens if you continue down this path. Look what, where Martha went to. She's continuing down this path. You end up doing what Martha does next. What does Martha do? Lord, don't you care? Now we're questioning God. Now we're all the way back to Genesis 3, aren't we? Did God really say, don't you care? And stop and think about that. Martha is so caught up in all this doing that she looks at Jesus and says, don't you care? Now she's upset with God that things are not going the way she wants. He won't send Mary to help her, so she is now upset. She's doing it all herself. You just don't care about me, Jesus, because you're not sending Mary to help me. She's trying to prove herself with her Christian ministry. She's trying to prove herself to herself and others by serving. In other words, it's not about, all about the Lord. I'm doing it all for His glory and His agenda. No, no, I'm, I'm doing it all for my glory and my agenda. Not the Lord's. Stop and, and just think about something with me. God is loving. He is all-knowing. He created us. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses. If you are stressed out about having to do too much, I am guessing that maybe some of what you are doing is for your glory and not His. It's for your glory and not His. Maybe you're saying, well, I just don't have time to spend time at Jesus' feet. I mean, Joe, I mean, this is, this is what you do for a living. You're supposed to spend time at Jesus' feet. That's, that's why we, we want, you know, that's why we do all this as far as, you know, having someone that is the shepherd over and they pay him and that's what they do. Okay. You're right. Absolutely. But maybe just maybe there's some things in your day to take up your time. And, and I know that the main thing right now that does that with me is the thing in my pocket. I don't bring it over on Sunday, but it's that phone, that thing. It's a wonderful blessing and a wonderful curse, right? It's a wonderful blessing and a wonderful curse. But some of, maybe some of what we're doing is, is to justify ourselves or to build an identity. And we, maybe we can lay some of those things down and step in and sit at the feet of Christ and Listen to him and see what he would have for us to do. So there is Martha, working real hard at proving herself, filled with anxiety, frustrated with God, and blaming God for her feelings. Is that true of you? Are you Martha? Are you experiencing these things? Well, if you are, thankfully, God never leaves us alone. He gives us the answer. Let's look at Mary. What does Mary do? Well, she gets at Jesus' feet. What does that mean? It means something very important. She gets down at Jesus' feet and she listens to his teaching. In the Bible, to get down to somebody's feet meant something. It, it meant to be under someone's authority. So she's submitting herself to the teaching to, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm listening to what you have to say and I trust in it and, and I'm listening. Allow it to shape you. Allow it to mold you. 
through the Spirit and your understanding of it. She gets down at Jesus' feet and she listens. She listens. When it says, for example, in the book of Acts, they sold their land, took their money, and put it at the apostles' feet, what they meant was that money was no longer theirs. They're giving it to the apostles to do what they feel best, what the Lord says to do with it. It was at the disposal of the apostles. That's what it means to, to sit at somebody's feet. There are many places where it says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. There's a promise that we can hold on to. We might not see it in this life, but one day it'll happen. All justice will happen. Right? Either, either someone will feel God's wrath for what they have done, or Jesus will feel, will, will feel their, the wrath that they deserve. But there's justice always happens because he's a good God and a perfect and just God. We just can't run by our Bibles for five minutes in the morning for inspiration and, and think that, that we're listening. It's a selfish approach. It's like, okay, I got five minutes. I'm going to check the box. In fact, it's the way you're justifying yourself, by the way, is saying, I did it. I mean, it's good. Some of us are, are bent that way. We need the checklist. Wonderful. But just make sure that your heart's in the right place. Make sure if you truly don't have time that, that you make time later on in the day if you're a morning person. If you're a night person, well, I'm not that person. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do because at some point you've got to go to sleep, right? It's an emotional approach. It's not listening. It's quickly passing by. And we know that Mary was listening. We know that she was listening. We know that she was paying attention. You see, because later on, there's this amazing scene. Mary is, is anointing. She's back at his feet. She's anointing his feet. And of course, what happens? Judas wigs out because what she's anointing him with is very expensive. And, you know, his God was money, obviously, because he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? So that was his God. That's how he, you know, that was his God. But here Mary is at, at, at Jesus' feet in, in a house preparing him for what? She was preparing him for burial. So now get this. Stop and think about this. This is the difference. Here, here are the disciples, right? They were all there. The disciples, Martha, Lazarus, they were all there in the house. But only one person knew that Jesus was going to die. And that was Mary. Jesus flat out told his disciples how many times that he came to die. We've already read it like three times so far in, in the book of Luke. I'm coming to die. But Mary's the only one that listened. Jesus flat out told his disciples many times. But Mary knew. And you know how she knew? Because she was at his feet listening. She took the word of God and just didn't spend focused time studying it, but she submitted to it. Jesus submitted to the word of God also. His whole life was submitting to the word of God. Jesus, he, yes, he was the word, but he bound himself to the word. We know this because, why? Because when those big events, remember we were talking the difference between mundane, everyday things and those big events come up. When those big events came up for Jesus, what came out of him? The word. That's what came out of him. 
Right? Whenever the three to five big events that we see in Jesus' life comes up, what happens is what comes out of him is not anxiety or anger. It is the word of God. In the desert, what does he say to Satan when Satan comes at him three times? He doesn't say, be gone, which we've seen him do. He quite easily could have done that. No. He says, it is written. It is written. When he deals with the Pharisees, he doesn't say, well, I think, no. He says, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He goes right back to the word. When he's in the garden and Peter gets his sword out, cuts the dude's ear off. Jesus says, I'm, I, I know I'm going to die, but don't you see, I could call 12 legions of angels, but then, oh Peter, how would the scripture be fulfilled? How would the scripture be fulfilled? So not only does the scripture come out of him, but he's submitting himself to it. When he has the cross on his back and he sees the woman weeping on the road, he quotes Hosea to them. When he's actually on the cross and he's at the point where God is taking everything away and he's turning his back on him, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the heat of life comes upon you, what is in your heart comes out. Whenever Jesus was tested, what came out was the word of God. When Jesus was beaten, when Jesus was stabbed, what came out was the word of God. He quoted the Bible everywhere. He dealt with the deepest, worst parts of his life with the Bible. He submitted utterly to it at every point. Jesus submitted to the word of God to be our substitute, to be our advocate To be the one who comes down and lives the life we should be living and die the death we should be dying. That's the good news of the gospel. He submitted so much to the word, to the father, to what was written, to how things the father laid out and he laid out and the spirit laid out before the beginning of time. He submitted to it. So not only did he listen to it, he submitted to it, just like Mary She's listening and she's submitting. For us, we're supposed to sit at his feet and utterly submit to his word. When Jesus did it, look at the greatness. When Mary did it, look at the greatness. Jesus sat. She sat at his feet. She was always at his feet. Because she sat at his feet one day, she was able to kiss his feet and anoint his feet. Because she listened to him, Mary had a very close relationship with Jesus. And that is where she found rest. That is where she found rest. Where are we going to fight anxiety, anger, those things? At the feet of Jesus. The same thing will happen to you. If you sit down and listen to him, if you take the time out of your busy schedule the hustle and bustle of life and listen to him. The reason maybe for your emptiness in your life is because you think there are things you need. But brothers and sisters, there's only one thing we need and that's Jesus. Jesus comes right out and says it. Sitting at my feet is the only thing you need. You're upset because you're saying, God, why aren't you giving me that? You need to look at it in the face this morning and say, I don't need you. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. 
Until you do that, you're going to be anxious like Martha. Jesus is all that you need. And I beg you today to choose the good portion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we, you're open and honest in your word that you show us and correct us and give us peace and show us that you are the good portion. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here that does not know you like this, that they would step in as they're reminded during communion of what you have done for us. It's a time to sit at his feet. Lord, I pray that we would make time to do so, to trust in him, to lay down the things that, that we have set up and just walk with him. Rest in Him. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.